As we approach Easter, we are focusing on the hope that we have in the face of death. That felt very appropriate even a couple of weeks ago when the coronavirus felt like a distant threat, but it feels even more appropriate now as we are surrounded by uncertainty. But Christians always focus on our hope in the face of death at this time of year as Easter approaches, because Easter is our time to focus on the two central events of God's plan of salvation, Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is what secures, in addition to his death, is what secures our hope of an eternal salvation, of life after death. See, the Bible tells the story of how God is going to deliver his people from sin and from death and from the curse. And that happens through Jesus' death as he bears our sin, as he dies our death on the cross, as he becomes a curse for us, as Galatians 3 says, uh, in his death, and then as he rises triumphant from the grave, victorious over death on the third day in his resurrection. And then the happy ending of that story, the true happy ending of that story that God is telling us in Scripture, that he has written and prepared for us, is the final defeat of death at Jesus' return when all who belong to Jesus are raised from the dead to have immortal, glorified bodies living in the presence of God in a new creation where there is no more sin and no more death and no more curse. But this morning, what we are focusing on is what happens between those two events, between Jesus' death and resurrection and his return, what happens? What, what happens when a believer dies between Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, between Jesus' uh, ascension into heaven and his return to the earth? We, we will not yet experience resurrection. We will one day in the future, but it's not going to happen right now. Uh, what happens right now when a believer dies? That's what we're focusing on this morning. So I, I want you to turn in your Bible uh, there with me at home to uh, Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 19 to 26. And we'll be looking at Paul's answer to this question of what happens now? What happens when a believer passes away? There's the resurrection hasn't happened yet. The new creation hasn't dawned yet. And so what does happen? Theologians call this the intermediate state because it's between two things. Like intermediate school is between elementary school and high school. The intermediate state is what happens in between Jesus' first and second coming to believers when they die. So let's look together at Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. I'll actually pick it up at the end of verse 18 where Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. 
For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, to grasp the full weight of this, it's important to remember that Paul is in prison while he is writing this letter. He is in prison, but his imprisonment has not dampened his joy. The first half of Philippians uh, chapter 1 and really the whole letter bear witness to Paul's joy even while he's in prison. He writes with thankfulness and gratitude uh, to the church at Philippi because even though he is separated from them, even though he is uh, in prison, they are standing beside him as gospel partners, uh, ministering to him as they support him in his ministry of spreading the gospel around the world. And then later in chapter 1, he writes that he is rejoicing, even while he's in prison, because the gospel is advancing. The gospel is being preached. There are soldiers who are hearing about the gospel because Paul is in prison under their care. There are other believers who have been emboldened to preach the gospel because Paul is suffering for the gospel, so why shouldn't I be willing to suffer for the gospel? So he's rejoicing, and uh, part of the reason why he's able to rejoice is the first thing we see here about Paul in verse 20, and that's this. Paul's first concern is not whether he lives or dies. Paul's first concern is that he bring glory and honor to Jesus. Notice how he says this in verse 20. He says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, Paul is not mainly concerned with whether or not he's going to get out of prison and be able to continue his ministry, or whether he's going to be sentenced to death and die. That's not not his main concern. His main concern is whichever of those happens, he wants to bring glory and honor to Jesus. He wants Christ to be magnified. He wants Christ to be honored. He wants Christ to be lifted up through him, whether through his life or through his death. Now that needs to be our starting place too as Christians. That we can say, Lord, whatever happens to me, I want to honor you. You are more important than me. Your glory is more important than me. In fact, this is how Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? The the first thing Jesus told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer is not... God, give us this day our daily bread so that we can survive, so that we can continue to live. Now, the first thing Jesus told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father, hallowed be your name. God, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be honored. We want people to revere you, to worship you. 
to treasure you, to trust you. That is to be our first request, our first desire. We want you, God, to be glorified. That's where we all need to start. Now, that doesn't make sense to everybody, but for those of us who are Christians, we know that that's how we ought to think and how we ought to live, even if we also know that we often fall short of that. But how is it that Paul is able to think this way? How is it that Paul is able to say, I don't really care mainly about whether or not I live or die. The main thing I care about is whether I bring glory and honor to God. How is he able to say that? Well, he explains for us in verse 21 with two short but powerful phrases. The first one is, he says, for, and I'm ex- he's explaining to us, why he thinks this way, why his main concern is that God be glorified. He says, for or because to me to live is Christ. Now that's a really compact phrase. What does that mean? Paul says, all what matters to me, right, is honoring Jesus, is bringing glory and honor to God. And the reason why is my whole life is about Jesus. For me to live is Christ. Living is about Jesus. Living is about bringing glory to Jesus. Living is about telling people about Jesus. Living is about obeying Jesus. Living is all about Jesus for me. Paul says in Colossians 1.16 that all things were created through him, meaning Jesus, and for him. So everything that exists, and that includes you and me, was made by Jesus and was made for Jesus. We exist for him. That's what the Bible teaches. And not only do we exist for him, but the Bible also says that we have been purchased by him. We've been ransomed by him through his death. So we doubly belong to Jesus. Our our existence comes from Jesus and is for Jesus. And our salvation comes from Jesus and is meant to bring glory and honor to Jesus. So our whole life is about Christ. Everything that we do, everything that we are is meant to be about Jesus and for Jesus. That doesn't mean that all we do is sit around and read the Bible or all we do is talk about Jesus or all we do is sing songs about Jesus or all we do is, is pray to Jesus all day long. We do all those things and those are important things, but it also means our working is about Jesus. Right? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, the Bible says. Uh, and we could go through verse and, verses and verses that say, uh, everything that you do, including your work, right? Don't, don't be people pleasers. Don't be, don't be people who, uh, who serve only by way of eye service, right? But you serve the Lord Jesus in your work. You do it for the glory and honor of God. Uh, the way you love your wife, the way you care for your kids, the way you handle your money, everything about your life, not only the things that we typically call spiritual, but everything about our life is meant to be done to honor Jesus and to bring glory to Jesus. And if we understand that Jesus made us, that God created us, that we were made through by the Father, through the Son, for the glory of God, we were made to live in fellowship with God, we were made to live in obedience to God, and we understand that things always work best 
when they are used or operated for the thing they were created for, right, then we know that living for the glory of Jesus, living in fellowship with God, living to obey God, that's not going to diminish the goodness of our life, as so many people think, oh, if I obey the Bible, it's just going to be so many things I'm not allowed to do, so many things I'm going to have to give up. Now, there's some truth to that. There's some things you have to give up to follow Jesus. Right? Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. But the other side of that is, when you do that, you find life, Jesus says. The one who tries to save his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. If you obey Jesus, if you live for Jesus, it's not going to diminish the goodness of your life. It's actually going to increase it. Your life will be better. You'll still have hardships, still have difficulties, but your life will be more in line with how God created you to live. And when you do that with anything, whether your own life or something that somebody made, it's always better right? when you use it, when, you, uh, when it's operated, in accordance with the thing uh, that it was made to do. Take a a simple example. Race cars are great for driving fast. They are not great for towing heavy things. If you use a race car to tow a heavy thing, it's not going to run really well. But if you use it to drive fast, it's going to be great. And in a much more significant but similar way, when we live for Jesus, when we live for God, our life is going to be so much better. If our first concern is to seek His kingdom, His righteousness, His glory and honor, then as He said, He'll add all the other things to us. He'll take care of us. Our life will be better than if we try to do it our own way and live for ourselves. So Paul says, part of why I'm not terribly concerned not mainly concerned about whether I live or die, is because my whole life is for Jesus anyway. And then here's the second part. Not only for to me to live is Christ, but then he also says, and to die is gain. Now that's even uh, more difficult in some sense for us to understand. How can Paul say that dying is gain? Paul knew, just like you and I know, that death is by definition about loss. Death is about not only the loss of life, but the loss of time, the loss of friendships, fellowship, family, pleasures, all the things that when we die, we leave behind, that we lose, that we no longer get to experience. Death is mainly about loss. And yet Paul chooses this word gain to describe death. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to pause and think about how the experience of death has been changed for Christians by what Jesus has done for us. Death is still an experience of loss. Even Christians lose things when they die. What Paul is saying is, if you put in the scales the things that you will lose when you die and the things that you will receive when you die, the scales will tip in favor of what you will receive or gain when you die. 
What is it that we are going to gain then that's so valuable that it will outweigh all the experiences, all the joy, all the love, all the laughter, all the good things that we experience in our lives with our families, with our friends, with our churches? How can God compensate for the loss of all those things when we die in such a way that Paul can say to die for a believer is gain? How can he say that? He gives us the answer in verse 23. At the end of verse 23, second half, he says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. In other words, he says, when I die, as someone who belongs to Jesus, who trusts Jesus, when I die, I know that what's going to happen to me when my body dies is me, my spirit is going to go into the presence of Jesus. And being in the presence of Jesus is so good and so wonderful and so great that it is something I can call gain to experience that when I die. It outweighs all the things that I'm going to lose. It is actually far better to die and go into the presence of Jesus, Paul says, than it is for me to continue living here, even with all the good things I experience in this good world that God has created for us. Now, again, how can Paul, how can Paul think that way? How can Paul get his, uh, get his life in line with that way of thinking? Even if we know that that's true, that it's better to be with Jesus. It's still hard to get our minds around that, to get our hearts behind that, where we can say that for ourselves. So think about it like this. On a much smaller scale, think about it like this. Think about a husband who has the the blessing and the privilege of being married to a woman who's also not only his wife, but his best friend. And he goes on a trip with some of his buddies, some of his guy friends, and they go do whatever, you know, is... Fun for them to do. They go on some kind of trip, camping, hiking, uh, going to sporting events or whatever. They go on this great trip and they're having a blast. Right? They're having a great time. It's not miserable. He, he, he's not having a bad time. He's enjoying it. It's good. But somewhere inside of him, at some point, the longer he's there especially, there grows in him a longing to leave behind his friends to leave behind that trip and to be back at home with his wife because he knows as good as this trip is, as good as this time is with his friends, what he really loves is being at home with his wife. That's far better. He'll miss the fun, right? He'll miss his friends. But when he's back home with his wife, he's, he's not going to be pining after what he's left behind with his friends. He's glad to be with her. That's, on a smaller scale, what Paul is talking about for Christians. The life that God has given us in many respects is good. He's given us many good things. There are sorrows and hardships with it, but there are many good things that God has given us to enjoy. And it's okay to grieve the prospect of losing those. And yet, if you took all the laughter, all the joy, all the pleasure, all the good things of this life that you will leave behind when uh, your last day comes, whether that's years from now or months from now, Paul says, if you take all of that and you put it in the scales, 
with what it's going to be like when you step into the presence of Jesus and you experience joy and peace and love and true and lasting pleasure unlike you have ever known before, you will know that Paul was telling the truth when he said, to die is gain. If you could taste it now, you would not have any doubt that what Paul is saying is true. Now, this is not the only place the Bible talks about this truth, that when a believer dies, our spirit goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. Let me, let me draw your attention to a couple other places just quickly. Remember when Jesus was dying on the cross and one of the criminals who was being crucified there with him uh, turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. What did Jesus say? Luke 23, 43, he said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. It will happen immediately when you die. You will be with me. You'll be in the presence of God in a good place that Jesus calls paradise. That's what the Bible says is true for all who put their trust in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says something similar. He says, we would rather... Be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So if we die, our bodies die and go into the ground, our spirit goes to be at home, Paul says, with the Lord, in the presence of God. Now, there's a reason why that does not feel ideal, right? There's a reason why, even though we know that that is better than life here, it's still hard to imagine what it will be like to be in the presence of God, uh, our spirits in the presence of God, uh, with no body. That, that's not how we were meant to live. That's not how God designed us to live. We saw that a couple of weeks ago um, in the way God designed the world and our bodies and for us to live in the world, uh, in God's presence and that's how the story is going to end with the new creation and, and resurrected bodies. So uh, Paul says it's better right, for us to depart and be with Christ. And yet he doesn't say that it's best. There's something coming for believers that's even better than departing to be in the presence of Christ. And that is what's going to happen when Jesus returns and our bodies are raised and made immortal, and we're brought into the new creation to dwell in the new heavens and the new earth in the presence of God forever. Paul hints at that in uh, Philippians as well. Later in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, this is where we'll end. Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is going to come. We're waiting for Jesus to come from heaven. And here's what's going to happen when he does that. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we're waiting for the day. This is what we're anticipating, what we're expecting. We're waiting for the day when Jesus will come back and he will take these mortal, lowly bodies that get sick, that get old, that break, that wear out. And he is going to transform them to be like his 
glorious resurrected body. He's going to raise us from the dead. Who Those of us who have uh, fallen asleep in the Lord, who died in Jesus, and those who are still alive when He returns, He's going to transform them as well. And our bodies are going to become like His glorious, immortal, resurrected body. Our bodies are not going to get sick anymore. They're not going to break anymore. They're not going to wear out anymore. We're not going to grow old anymore. We're not going to die anymore. Jesus is going to raise us to live with Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And God is going to come once again to dwell with His people. We'll have perfect fellowship with Him and we will live with Him forever. So for those who have no real hope beyond this life, those who don't belong to Jesus, death is the ultimate loss, and it is a source of terror. But Jesus came to conquer death, and Jesus says that all who turn from their sin and trust in Him, not only will have their sins forgiven, but will no longer have any reason to fear death. Because for those who belong to Christ, who know they were made for Christ, who have been saved by Christ, redeemed by Christ, know that death, though it remains our enemy, will mean entering the presence of Christ. So that death is ultimately gain. Though we will lose much, we will gain more. And yet even then, we will be waiting for the day when Jesus comes from heaven to reign upon the earth and to raise all his beloved children from the dead, grant them immortal and incorruptible bodies to live with him in the presence of our Father forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy We ask God for healing. We ask for the end to this virus that's spreading and harming so many and and taking the lives of so many. We pray, God, that the message of the hope that we have in Christ would spread even further around the world, that more and more people in this time especially would hear and believe the good news about Jesus, his death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sin, the hope of eternal life that he gives to all who trust in him. We pray that many would believe and be saved and that all who believe and are saved will be comforted by the good news that you have given us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.